Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clearmotive Marketing. Thank you to my business partner, Chad Croker, and the entire team who worked tirelessly behind the scenes to make this show a reality. As a founding partner at Clearmotive, I'm excited to announce the official launch of our industrial marketing system. As a company with 15 plus years of experience with a variety of clients in nearly every sector, we identified that industrial manufacturing companies were underserved. You have unique needs, and we have developed a unique skill set to help you succeed. If you build and sell a product that helps other companies, we have developed an industrial marketing system to get your highest priority product in front of your ideal customer profile in less than eight weeks. Gardner recently reported that your buyers are 87% of the way through their buying process before contacting your company directly. That means it's never been more critical to apply the right marketing process to create and close more deals. Our three-stage industrial marketing system helps you shorten your sales cycle by using modern marketing tactics designed specifically for your industry and more importantly, for the way your clients like to buy. Stop sitting on the sidelines wondering which part of your marketing is working and put a system in place that makes it easy for your most valuable prospects to find you and get excited about your solution to their challenges. To find out more about what ClearMotive's industrial marketing system can do for you, please check us out at www.clearmotive.ca slash IMS, or better yet, open up your email and contact me directly at tyler at clearmotive.ca, T-Y-L-E-R. I'm excited to chat with you and put a plan in place to get your most valuable leads contacting you and not your competitors. Hello and welcome to Collisions YYC, Follow the Money, Investing with Purpose, a show where we have real conversations with people who are driving change in our community. Today on the show, we're going to dive into a little bit of the clean tech space. We've had a lot of people, again, you can't turn on the news, talk about energy transition, energy transformation, clean tech. What does it all mean? But more importantly, where's the funding coming to drive this change forward? And you can have all the best ideas in the world, but money is definitely one of the ingredients. So Michael Hebert, uh, Hebert, depending on which part of the country you're from, happy to have you on the show today. I don't even know how we met. I think the internet just conspired and got me on, got you on my radar. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Tyler. Good, uh, good to be here. My pleasure. And I think we ran into each other at Adventures as well. We were both creeping in on something and you were standing behind me at the door, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I do remember that. I was like, you're the podcast guy, right? So I come on your show <laughs> totally. in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Mike, <laughs> I over to you. <laughs> famous, infamous, I don't know, guess around too much on LinkedIn. I'm not sure what that is, but... Uh, <laughs> The, the, the short story is we live in a very, very small community in Western Canada, and I love sharing stories because there's, there is, a, a, I believe, so many amazing things that are going on that unless you happen to work in a sector or happen to get introduced to someone, there can be something going on right under your nose that you don't get a chance to tune into. So with that, let's lay, this, lay the framework for us. Let's jump in the old pitch elevator. NGIF, um, what are you guys all about? Break down the acronym. Who are you? And what role do you guys play in this ecosystem? Yeah, certainly so. NGIF stands for the Natural Gas Innovation Fund, which was the original name for our sort of flagship fund, which is a, a granting arm. Um, it's it since evolved into uh, three separate divisions. So NGIF Clean Tech Ventures is the venture capital arm that I work under, which is a $55 million fund that's industry-led. You know, we, we're super unique in the marketplace, and then we have eight LPs across the natural gas value chain. So three producers of gas in Arc Resources, um, Birchcliff Energy, and Tourmaline Oil, we have two midstream LPs in TC Energy and Tidewater, and then three utilities in ATCO, Fortis BC, and, and TriSummit. Um, outside of Clean Tech Ventures, you know, we also have a, a, a granting arm, which provides non-dilutive funding for really early stage, sort of TRL, like two to four, two to five companies. So that's really to help them commercialize uh, natural gas technologies that reduce emissions. And then we have a, a third division, which is called the Emissions Testing Center, which is essentially a, a research laboratory at U of C paired with a live demonstration site at a tourmaline 
gas site that's uh, in Edson in northern Alberta. So really a full-service shop, super unique in the marketplace. You know, companies can come in and test their technology at a site. You know, they can get access to non-dilutive grant funding to help them scale up, and they can get equity investments from Cleantech Ventures before they're at that pre-commercialization sort of TRL 9 stage. So we're, uh, yeah, like I think we're the only VC in the marketplace that I'm aware of that uh, is exclusively focused on, you know, uh, lowering emissions in the gas sector, and we have the support of eight um, gas sector corporates behind us. So, uh, sort of. Uh, oh, that is a heck of a. Of, of that's not the that's not the first time you've jumped into that elevator pitch. I think that was incredibly comprehensive and impressive. How long <laughs> you've guys How long have you guys been around? So NGF has been in existence probably for five years. Um, okay. That was sort of just the, just the granting arm, and NGF Clean Tech Ventures was spun up uh, about eighteen months ago. So it's it's fairly new. You know, first-time funds and, and, and $55 million for a first-time fund is, is pretty remarkable, in my opinion. So we're super happy about that. And, and, you know, we bring more to the table than just capital. Because, I mean, there are a lot of great VCs out there that can, can write you a check. But we also bring eight LPs that are strategic to the industry. They can ultimately be your customers at the end of the day, which is, as you know, as an entrepreneur, getting your first customer is, you know, one of the hardest things to do. So we bring that sort of level of expertise, the connection to the LPs and the customers, and then also the financial backing and then in, in the context of our total broader ecosystem of the grants and the emissions testing center. So we can really, you know, move the needle for the companies that we invest in. I appreciate that. So oh, I, got, I have a million questions, which I usually, this is right at this phase where I'm like, Oh my God, which, which question do I ask first? So just let's, let's talk about the clean tech ventures 18 months ago. Was that driven by an internal decision based on what you saw trending? Was that based on your LPs going, Hey, we need to see more in this area. I'm just curious because 18 months ago recently, but a bunch of lifetimes probably when it comes to where you guys have come over that period of time, uh, not sure when you kind of came on board there, but what was the impetus or what really drove like, Hey, we need to start this now. Like what triggered that? Mm. So I think the genesis of it was that industry grants, you know, you're investing on a project by project basis. You know, you can either opt in or opt out as one of the strategic corporates that are in, in the granting funds. And they kind of came to the realization like, hey, we actually would like to keep supporting these companies, but from an equity investment perspective, actually gain a bit of equity, have some skin in the game, you know, hopefully make a financial return and then and be that much closer to sort of commercializing these technologies. So it was really an evolution okay. of, you know, the wants and needs of the LP match with the, the wants and the needs of the industry. So that's kind of how it all came about. And then I, I, I think I told you this story at, at Adventures or in a previous conversation, but I kind of stumbled upon this role by accident a little yeah. bit. Uh, I don't know if you remember the story, but um, so I essentially had the ACL surgery on my knee after a skiing incident um, a few years ago. And uh, you're, you're kind of off your feet for, you know, three to four weeks after that surgery. And so I wanted to use that time effectively. There's only so much Netflix you could watch sort of sitting on your couch. <laughs> the joke over COVID was I finished Netflix. I'm, I've got a certificate. I watched everything I It is, it, it is complete. It's complete. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, so I wanted to use that time sort of productively. And then I, I authored a paper that I submitted to uh, the University of Oxford has this semi-autonomous research institute called the Oxford Institute for Energy Studies. And so part of my paper was on clean tech in Canada. And part of that uh, subsection of that paper was on sort of the role of private capital in clean tech and how that's shaping the landscape in Canada. So I reached out to John Adams, who's, who's the managing partner of the funds, and said, hey, you know, I'm writing this paper. Do you want to sit down and, and chat with me quickly? And uh, I guess I made a good impression on him because, you know, a few months later, he offered me a job at uh, the newly founded uh, clean tech venture. So that's kind of how I got into this industry and, and, and into clean tech venture investing in the first place. 
I know we, that's an amazing story unto unto itself about you know getting out there. What's the old joke when you when you want money, ask for advice, but when you want advice, ask for money. Because when you want when you, when you want a job, ask for someone's opinion. <laughs> if you want someone's opinion, ask for a job. I don't know if that translates. That just made me think of that old joke someone told me in investing years ago. If you, no, it's you, very you, true. You, people yeah, yeah. people love to talk about uh, you know their industry or their companies they founded and stuff. So you're really just poking the poking the bear a little bit and just saying, hey, do you want to talk to me and tell me your story and that kind of thing. And people usually are pretty responsive uh, about that. I, yeah, I love it. That, thanks. I love slipping that in. And that feels just such like an Alberta entrepreneur. I just got out there and made it happen kind of story, which I love. Um, <laughs> talk to me a little bit about with some of the startups that you're working with around, there's a huge gap and nothing can destroy a startup like an opportunity with a large enterprise. And as funny as that sounds, it's true. The joke, you know, when you're a small business, everything can kill you. Failure can kill you, but success can kill you. Like the joke is like being a deer in the forest. You got to be alert for anything that can come at you. What role do you guys play or do you or don't you and how when you're looking at investment opportunities, but like you said, setting them up for success, partnering with some of these large LPs, which is a huge part of your value proposition. Are you also there at the table to help these startups to be able to withstand the opportunity of working with these large partners? Yeah, certainly. So a bit of background on us, so our $55 million funds, so we're typically like a pre-seed, sort of series A, maybe an early series B under the right circumstances investors. So okay. check sizes are kind of 250K up to like 2.5 million, and our sweet spot is, is probably okay. right around a million. So we're kind of like one of the first institutional capital into these companies. So we're, we're typically sort of investing around the seed or, or series A. These companies okay. could you know, have a minimum viable product. They could be sort of reaching that commercialization, could have those first customers. So that's kind of the stage that we're, we're making the introduction to these customers. You're investing in these potential portfolio companies at. Mm-hmm. And so they, you know, some of them have the capabilities to take on larger clients, and some of them you know, are more in their infancy and don't really have the capability to do those just yet. But you know, we're definitely a facilitator. We, we hosted our first uh, sort of founder summit in Calgary uh, in June, where we brought together eight of our portfolio company CEOs and a collection of you know, high-ranking uh, officials from our LPs and really got them in the room together and said, hey, like, what are the problems you're having as a CEO of a startup? And, and you know, the LPs were there sort of listening and then the reverse happened. And you know, what do you want to see in new technologies coming into your enterprise? And you know, how can these companies really fit the bill? And so a recurring theme that we heard over and over again is like, you know, it's hard to get access to, to a TC energy, let's say. You can't just call them up and say, hey, I have a new you know, fugitive emission technology and I want to you know, do a pilot at one of your sites. Like, it doesn't work like that. So you need to sort of have an internal champion at the company who's really saying, you know, this would be a great way for us to reduce emissions. It will help us save costs. You know, it'll, it'll do X, Y, and Z for our, for our ESG strategies. You really need to have one of those internal champions at the company to to move the needle and get your foot in the door. And so that's really a, a benefit that we have because we've been working with these LPs for so long and we have a, a long relationship with them because many of them are actually investing across the NGF ecosystem. So the testing center, grants, and the venture arms, so we know them super well. We've been working with them for four or five years. And so they can really open the door for the portfolio companies and help get them these pilots, you know, get them their first customers. And then, you know, once they, they show that success at the large scale, then they can, uh, you know, really ramp up and reach that, that next phase of growth. Uh, no, that makes a lot of sense. And everybody's at a different stage, so it's hard to ask, ask these blanket questions. I'm sure every situation is unique, whether it's the LP or the startup. Are you seeing also a trend, uh, again, I'm pro- projecting things I'm hearing other places, Large large companies are notoriously, it's a challenge to innovate. It's a challenge like the entrepreneurship model. 
Are you seeing also, or very specifically, even the eight that you work with, an appetite for that and realizing that this is a really good avenue for it is bringing in that outside, like people that maybe aren't caught up in the same bureaucracy and governance and process that allow these companies to be successful at scale, but sometimes can make them challenged to be innovative. Is I guess I'm just curious if that's a trend you're seeing as well or not around like this is a great way for companies like that to maybe break some of their habits and their molds to do things differently by bringing in a startup partner like that. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of these companies, this is the first time they've really dabbled in the venture capital asset class. So they're, they're brand new to the sector. They're brand new to what venture capital is, you know, so they're, we're sort of guiding them uh, along the path to, you know, this 10 year fund that we've, we've launched with them, but a way that we've kept them engaged throughout the process is, you know, Hey, we have this wealth of expertise at these companies. We have really senior engineers and technical experts that, that, you know, infinitely more than I do about you know, certain technologies and how they can impact the industry. So we formed what we call the Operations Advisory Committee, which is sort of a, 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 a step in our due diligence process where we can bring opportunities to them. We can bounce ideas off them. We can say, hey, you know, how would this, you know, methane emissions camera compare to other LIDAR technologies that you've seen in the marketplace? And, you know, we really utilize their, their skills and expertise to help us make informed investment decisions. And so that's a super cool way for these LPs to stay engaged, you know, have some of these, these experts at their company, you know, break out from the traditional roles of their, you know, head of engineering or, or whatever their role is. And they can sort of get more involved in this, you know, super cool, super interesting uh, startup ecosystem. And so that, that, that's really one way we've helped to get them engaged. And we're also considering, um, you know, the possibility of a secondment for maybe some of the, you know, maybe younger, more you know, mid-level engineers or technical experts that want to come and, and do a secondment at the venture fund or one of our portfolio companies, you know, for a, a six, 12, 18 month stint, however long you want to do it. And, and that would be a way that they can get engaged in the community. And then once they come back to their original parent company, then they sort of benefit from that outside, you know, on the job learning and, and the excitement and the you know, skill set that they've gained working at, uh, at one of these companies. So that's something we're, we're toying with right now. I love that for so many, like from a retention, from an engagement, from a learning, from breaking out of the mold and, and being able to kind of step into that startup space while still having the security of being part of a large, you know, not all the risk and, and the volatility that can come, which is scary for a lot of people to jump into those like, oh yeah, we'll just, we'll do a startup. It'll be great. That's a very risky proposition for a lot of people, depending on where they are in their, in their kind of life cycle, if you will. How many, uh, how many companies have, like you've got the eight LPs, how many companies currently do you guys have uh, that you're working with from a portfolio perspective? in terms of the, the startup side, or I, I shouldn't use the, I'd be have to keep the word startup is so loosely thrown around the, 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 the companies that you're investing in, I'll say it that way, your portfolio companies. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so we have seven portfolio companies, uh, seven dates that we've invested in. Yeah. So we came out of the gates pretty hot because we do use industry grants, you know, five funds. I don't know the exact number, maybe 30 or 40 projects a year. And so we really have a great pipeline through them of, of mm, companies that we okay. could invest in. So the cream of the crop. So we use them as a, great source of deal flow. So we had a lot of pent up demands kind of from them that these companies were already sort of at that commercialization stage. So they came to the gate pretty hot and uh, making those seven investments. But, uh, you know, the goal is to sort of deploy capital into probably 15 or 20 over the next two or three years um, over the sort of life cycle of the fund. So um, we're, we're probably going to slow it down a little bit this year and, and maybe do, let's say, three, three or four sort of deals um, in the latter half of this year and sort of keep yeah. that pace um, over the deployment period. So. 
You mentioned having a pretty, again, I've talked to a lot of different VCs and from all different scopes and like how many, I, I look at 200 to get 10 or I look at 400 to get 30 or whatever the number may be. Sound like you had quite a few companies kind of in the funnel, if you will, from the perspective of funding individual projects that translated into seven portfolio companies, like to get that three, those three, four deals between now and at the end of the year, based on what you've seen, and I know you guys are kind of new in it. How many would you typically see to end up, end up with three or four, four investments? Yeah, so that's a good question. And, uh, you know, one of my responsibilities is actually tracking our deal flow. And so I break it down by what we're seeing per quarter. And then we also have 16 clean tech sort of investment priorities that range from, you know, carbon capture to hydrogen to transportation and, and RNG or, or what have you. So I, I sort of rank, right? I assign each of the deals that come across our desk to one of these priorities and then we track it over okay. time. Okay. And so I think to date, we've probably looked at around 200. So north north of two hundred sort of deals uh, to get to these seven. So I don't know what that sort of translates to. Maybe four or five percent yield rates um, on those deals. So we're we were pretty impressed considering that we we're first time funds. You know we're new in the markets. You know, we do have that established brand of NGIF, but we are still you know a first time fund that that just got launched. And the deal flow, and not just the volume, but the the, the quality of the deals as well, is really has um, blown us away. I, I can't believe. How, huh. You know the, the quality of the deals that we're looking at and the companies that we've got to invest in to date you know we're, we're co-investing with some of the most prestigious and established vc funds on the planet uh, you know in our first year of operation so that's uh, you know uh, that's unbelievable from my perspective no and that makes a big uh, so, so talk to me the the 200 to get to seven what were some of the standout or like talking about and you can name names i'm happy to as much as this is also a show about promoting things that maybe don't get on people's radar so out of the seven that 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 you decided to go with was there some themes or was there some certain like what was it or what was the attractiveness was it that you saw a perfect fit with one of your lps was it something about the scalability curious of what some of your criteria without giving away your secret sauce or give it away as much as you like what is it that really made a difference for you guys to, to land on those seven? Yes, I mean, every VC has their own sort of proprietary mix of what they look for in terms of team and stage and product market fits and, you know, economic moats and intellectual property and that sort of thing. But um, we, we've had a couple of really standout companies. I mean, we like all of our portfolio companies. I don't want to be a, be a parent and you're asking me to pick my favorite, but we do have a couple sort of <laughs> standout companies that... Um, we're, we're super excited about. Uh, so first one would be sort of Validator Technologies. Uh, you, you might have heard of them. They're, they're quite prevalent and they invested in their Series B rounds. They're led by Dr. Ian Burgess and they have offices in Calgary, Toronto and Houston. And so Validator is really building the first universal data layer for oil and gas. Um, so this data layer aggregates all the available customer data and compiles it into a complete and accurate and an uh, audible repository that uh, the companies can create a real-time digital fingerprint for the, each molecule that moves along their supply chain. Hmm. That's sort of a convoluted way of saying a digital fingerprint for each of the hydrocarbons that moves along the supply chain. Mm -hmm. And this can be you know, beneficial for, for preventing harmful emission leaks and monitoring, and then ultimately marketing responsibly sourced gas because you have this fingerprint of the molecule moving down the supply chain, so you can really measure its carbon intensity. And so from our perspective, you know, this has a huge implication for, for Canadian gas producers who invested really heavily into lowering emissions and streamlining production. And uh, you know, they want to let people know that they're producing the cleanest molecule in the world. And this you know, is a viable solution for them to do that. So we're, we're super like excited about, uh, about Validir. And that was one of the ones that we got to invest in alongside, I think this is public information, so I'm clear to say this, but uh, like Wing VC and, and Greylock Partners out of San Francisco and you know, BlackRock uh, led the rounds uh, out of one of their investment vehicles. And, and so we're 
you know, super thrilled to be investing alongside the, the, the who's who of the venture capital ecosystem in this deal, you know, in our first year of operation. So that was, uh, that was super exciting for me personally. Um, I've had other guests come on and talk about more the early stage seed, pre-seed round and how collaborative that can be. And as you move your way up the chain, uh, when the companies are a little bit more, I won't say a sure thing, but maybe a little less risk, things can get a little bit more competitive around, no, we want all of that deal with the series, especially maybe between A and B and beyond of like, you know, we know this is a little bit less risky. So if there's a bigger investment opportunity, we don't want to share the space. Sounds like what you're talking about is that there's a lot of, there, there, there's groups coming into, at the, is it also because of the stage or are you finding finding that it is actually relatively collaborative still? I think it's fairly collaborative because we're so unique in the marketplace. I mean, like, mm. quite frankly, we're, we're a reasonably small fund, 55 million. You know, Validator could have just said, you know, get lost. We have, you know, BlackRock and, and Greylock you know, and, and Wing. Like, we don't, we don't need your money. But they you don't need to know around. anything about anything in the world. Black And the Black, BlackRock carries a lot of weight when you drop that in a conversation. <laughs> it carries a lot of weight. So they, they could have been like, they can easily fill the round out. We don't need you guys. But they, they wanted, they made a specific point to have us in the round because of the strategic importance of our LPs that we bring to the table. Yeah, like that's a huge value proposition. Yeah. So that's a huge value prop, right? And, and so we're participating in these rounds that um, you know, are a bit later stage for us. That so this was the Series B and... You know, we're, we're a small fund, so we can't write huge checks into Series B rounds. So we're sort of taking more of a passive, passive seat on this one. But uh, when the tables are turned, and we've invested a lot of pre-seed and seed deals as well, and we're taking sometimes taking up the whole round, sometimes taking up you know we're leading the rounds on those seed deals. So you know, we're, we're setting the terms, we're negotiating you know term sheets, we're getting the board positions, we're taking a larger equity stake. So you know, those ones are definitely, I'd say, less collaborative in a, in a certain way because we're sort okay. of setting the terms on our and our own agenda there in those early rounds. But earlier, and then now you're at the table and you've got relationships with, like it, it, it all does play out over, you know, you got to look at this over a longer period of time often of, you know, yeah, having yeah. those, be, to be able to pick up the phone and call those funds when you've got other opportunities to expand and grow. When you guys were at an early stage, those are the phone calls. Life is about relationships <laughs> and, well, and return and re relationships and returns. <laughs> relationships and return. And clean like it's such a small sort of ecosystem and, you yeah. run into the same players over and over again. And now we've started exchanging deal flow, you know, with people over the U.S. and internationally. And so we're, we're just getting inbounds of all these great deals that we could, you know, potentially look at. But we only have enough dry powder to do, as I said, you know, maybe seven to ten more deals. So we've got to be super selective, uh, which is a great place to be in, you know, rather than be the opposite where you have uh, no deal flow, right? And how is, like uh, you said, 200, you know, to get seven out of those three to four, any problem finding enough companies to see? Like, because that is, that's like, like leads. I got to get my hundred leads to do my 20 calls, to do my 10, to close five. Are, is there enough? Is, is that, is that booming? Is it slowing? What are you seeing in terms of trends of new opportunities and new companies coming to the table? Like, is the, is there enough flow to keep that, to keep that deal funnel full? Yeah, certainly. So I think clean tech okay. is, you know, one of the most exciting areas to be in right now. You know, every person, every company, every government around the world is thinking about how can we decarbonize, how can we meet our emission reduction targets. And so we really think that, you know, renewables will, will play a, a key role in this, but, you know, natural gas will be the cornerstone. And I fully believe that, you know, it's clean burning, it's abundant, it's safe. You know, it, it really will be the cornerstone. We just need to work on, on getting that molecule, you know, the best performing molecule that it can be the lowest emission molecule that it can be. And so we're super excited to be in the space. And as I mentioned, you know, we're one of the only VCs that really are diving headfirst into natural gas. There's one more in the U.S. that uh, I believe is called Energy Impact Ventures out of Chicago, and they have a sort of similar model to ours, but um, not as many LPs. So we're the only one in the world that has the support of eight energy corporates. But this is a super exciting space, and there's a ton of companies that are looking for funding that have maybe been not shunned, but 
you know, by traditional VCs that are like, hey, this isn't natural gas, this isn't maybe not, you know, the right fit for our thesis. And so we've really opened up the floodgates mm -hmm. for these companies to get funding, you know, to get into the ecosystem, to get exposure and, and, and that sort of thing. So our, our pipeline is, you know, overflowing at this point with, uh, with opportunities. That's fantastic to hear. And what percentage of these are Alberta-based or Western Canada? I want to limit it to Alberta, but we are Collisions YYC, so we are. We started off focused on Calgary, but it's hard to have a conversation just about about, about Calgary for long without talking. We don't live in a geodesic bubble here. Um, where, are you seeing and you, are you seeing opportunities from across? What's the percentage or kind of weighting as far as Alberta? You know, Alberta, BC, Saskatchewan. We'll just focus even on Western Canada. Yeah, so we're seeing a, a ton of opportunities from Western Canada. So we've got. Um, you know, a couple of portfolio companies, so Econa Power, which is a hydrogen production company that uses a pulse methane paralysis system that uh, it to, to separate uh, methane into hydrogen gas. And so someone just someone Vancouver. just talked to me about this the other day on on how this is such a massive company with huge potential. It's kind of under the radar. So you're like the third person in like the last week that has said this to me. <laughs> yeah, it's one of our portfolio companies. We're, we're super yeah, nice. bullish about them. They're, they're going to be like a billion dollar company for sure um, in the next. That's you know, what who I was years. talking to last week said the same thing. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're super awesome. Chris Reed is a great CEO as well, and uh, so I really have strong conviction in them. But uh, we also invested in Ionomer Innovations out of. Uh, out of Vancouver, so they're based on the UBC campus, and they make uh, ion exchange membranes, which are you know, super critical components for any electrochemical uh, application. But from our perspective, it's for for electrolysis, hydrogen production, it's for hydrogen fuel cells, and that's for creating synthetic fuels um, from captured CO2, which is sort of the three use cases that we're most interested in for them. And okay. so they're also based out of Vancouver. You know, we have uh, Galatea Technologies, which is uh, out of Calgary, so we led their seed rounds. Um, so a great, you know, Chad is a great CEO there as well, and he has a, a strong advisor in uh, in CAM. And so they're uh, doing optimized wastewater disposal um, for sort of flow back and produce water in uh, oil and gas uh, drilling activities in Western Canada. And so they're like an mm -hmm. Uber-style route optimizer and uh, and digital manifesting aggregator for, for each of these disposals. And they're, they're based in Calgary as well. Um, who else? I think we got one more. Uh, Ionata uh, is a carbon capture company that... Uh, they have a headquarters in Edmonton, if I'm not mistaken. And so they have sort of modular carbon capture, and they're targeting the really smaller scale, sort of less than 20,000 ton per annum market, which is sort of unique in that most people are going large scale on the other side, and, okay. uh, and Inata is targeting sort of on the lower end. So that's just a few examples of companies we've invested in in uh, Western Canada. Um, well, I really so. appreciate it. You had some Calgary, you had some Edmonton, you had some Vancouver in there, you had a mix, and, and, and all from slightly coming at it from different angles as well. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So a bit, a bit of a sort of broad mix of, of companies and, and trajectories and uh, different stages and stuff like that. With the emissions side, obviously emissions are happening whether we have good price in the market or poor price from a commodity perspective. Are you seeing any kind of more positive trend because lately the price has been a little bit more positive in terms of the value of even natural gas at kind of a root level? or? Is it a little bit, I don't want to say recession-proof because nothing is when you're talking at scale, but emissions are emissions and we have to make these choices no matter what with a little bit more free cash floating around. Has that had a positive impact or anything that you're seeing from that side of it? Yeah, and definitely. We're seeing you know, natural gas, for example, is like $8 a GJ. And I remember a time when it was you know sub $1 a GJ. So it's uh, it's pretty <laughs> remarkable. The, the upswing that they've seen and companies really should be jet using that free cash flow to invest in mm. carbon reduction technologies and carbon capture because... You know, if this plays out like I think it will, and we're at a $50 per ton carbon tax right now, and that's slides all the way up to, I think, what is it, $170 a ton in, in 2030, like that's going to hit your bottom line hard if you're not investing now with that free cash flow. So, and, and we're, we're one of the examples of what companies can do when they sort of come together, they have that free cash flow, and they can make investments into venture funds, 
they don't have to manage these processes internally. They can sort of delegate capital to us and say, hey, you guys invest in the technologies and, and really bring them to commercialization. And hopefully we can use them in our operations to lower emissions and improve environmental performance. So. Mm, I appreciate that. So more the regulatory and when you run 2030 is not that is that's that's like tomorrow when it comes to kind of I know, that, it's, that, it's that increase. I mean, that's, uh, you know, we got we have two more Olympics to go through and then we're there. Right. So <laughs> that's very real. <laughs> and the carrot and the stick is is that stick. Uh, I guess how much does that play into because there's doing the right thing because it's the right thing. And then there's doing the right thing because we're, we're going to be regulated and we kind of have no choice. And sooner or later, it is a dollars versus cost to impact conversation. I'm assuming that that's starting to drive it because like you said, that's <laughs> two Olympics away. That's a good way to, that's a good way to think about it. <laughs> No, but I think uh, I'm not the first person to say this. This this really isn't an original thought, but, uh, you know, ESG reports are going to be scrutinized (laughs) to the same standard that financial reports are going to be, you know, within the next decade. So companies that get ahead of it now, get the systems in place, get the reporting to a standard where people are are satisfied are going to be much better off from a capital markets perspective than companies that are sort of behind the eight ball and playing catch up when they say, oh, we know we actually have to get these reports out and and sort of get the metrics in place that uh, our investors want to see. So it's sort of fixing the roof where the sun is shining uh, right now for these, for these companies. I, I, yes, I, I, it was the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago, but if not, just get it planted right now. Kind yeah. of thing. What are some of the challenges with your portfolio companies? I'm just curious, like, is it the, the technology and proving it out? Is it talent? Uh, obviously, access to capital, they're working with you, so now they've kind of met that objective. What are you seeing as maybe top one, top three challenge that you're maybe seeing consistently across the board? Yes, yeah, so a recurring theme that we're seeing across our portfolio companies is definitely uh, talent. So there's a war on talent. So you hear that all the time. It's in the news. You hear it from these, these CEOs. Like, I want to hire you know, a systems architect or a lead engineer. And you know, I make, by the time I make an offer to them, they've already accepted another offer yeah. somewhere else. Like, we can't move fast enough. We can't meet their, their salary demand. So that's a, a real issue for them. And sort of attracting and retaining top talent is, you know, will be an issue for the foreseeable future. It's because we have people who are in such high demand. There's so few of them. You know, and, and particularly on the computer science side, I mean, at least in Calgary, there's not a huge computer science sort of faculty at the university. So you know, we're pumping out CS grads left, right, and center, and then they can sort of take these jobs. You have to import them from elsewhere, like, you know, Waterloo or UBC, for example, have great CS programs. So that's, uh, you know, a bottleneck in the Calgary ecosystem for sure. Uh, a second point for our portfolio companies is um, supply chain issues. So this has been ongoing sort of Across COVID, and you know, I feel like a broken record saying this, but you know, a lot of them are saying we, we can't get products, we can't get the components we need to manufacture, you know, whatever we're manufacturing. So that's slowing things down. And the projections we gave you a year ago are now totally out of whack, and you know, we need to push them off like 18 months to the future before we can sort of get back on track. So that's a huge issue for them. You know, not really much they can do other than you know bring manufacturing in house, which obviously takes lengthy lead time to get the tooling and the and the machinery. Yeah, that's a whole other these parts, and that's capital intensive. So we don't want to go down that road. So it's sort of, you know, pick, pick your battles here, I guess, on the supply chain issue. So talent, supply chain, obviously access to capital. That's something you're um, working with. Um, you've got your eight LPs and they've bought in because they believe in it. I guess, you know, I'm thinking about where this technology is versus where the market is ready to accept it, invest in it, or go forward. Is part of your, your job or part of the role you fill also creating a balance because, you know, a great idea that's ahead of its time is that arguably still a great idea if no one's willing to take the chance to put it in. So curious how much of a juggling act that is between like, ah, this is the best technology ever. Ooh, I don't know. It feels a bit risky. 
I've heard certainly from a lot of people that we have a long list of companies here that love to be second, not necessarily first when it comes to implementing a new technology. Curious what you're seeing uh, that that because it is a bit of the matchmaker, right? Which is a role you guys play between this amazing, you know, innovative tech startup. Ooh, that's a bit risky. I don't want to do it until someone else does. Are you seeing that, or are we realizing that we don't have that luxury of waiting for the good idea to be completely proved out before we actually need to test it and run some pilots at that at the LP level? No, I mean it's certainly an interesting question. I mean, you don't want to invest in a technology that's so far ahead of its time that you know it's, it's, it's no hope of getting to market in the next you know decade, let's say. So it's sort of a balancing <laughs> okay, act where you want to invest in yeah. forward-looking, you know, revolutionary technologies that are sort of at that near commercialization point where they have a, a chance of sort of being in the marketplace in the next you know, two to three years. So it's definitely a, a bit of a tightrope to walk, but um, mm. you know, that, that's, that's sort of our expertise at, at NGIF. So we and know how to scale clean tech companies. We know what's happening in the market because of our connection to the LPs. And so we can really get those companies from that early stage to the commercialization and beyond. And so that's really our, our competitive advantage as, as a VC fund. Mm, I, I, pre- I appreciate that. Is that, you said two to three years, and I'm not, not trying to pin you down, but I'm trying to pin you down. Is that kind of when I look at something, if I'm an LP and I go, all right, two to three years runway before I think this could be viable. And again, it's it's forecasting and it's a bit crystal ball at that point. Like you said, supply chain can come in and derail things by by 18 months. Is that an, is that an acceptable time frame that I would look at as an LP? And again, we're speaking generalities to say, yeah, no, okay, two to three years, we're willing to go on the ride and take that journey. And you know, we know that there's odds it might work out and odds not, but we're pretty confident that's, a, that's an acceptable timeline. Is that is that, or does it really depend on the situation? Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head there. If you're an LP and you're investing in a clean tech fund, you need to accept that the time horizon is going to be elongated compared to say a, a VC fund that invests in software, just because we're investing you know, more in hard tech. We do some software investing as well, but we mainly invest in hard tech, which has longer development cycles, you know, higher capital intensity, and longer sort of time to get to market. And then, as you mentioned sort of earlier in the podcast here, that uh, you know we need to have a, a balanced portfolio. So we invest you know across hard tech and soft tech. We invest in sort of pre-revenue, post-revenue companies, so sort of like the pre-seed all the way to the Series B. So some of our companies are already making yeah, you know, millions of dollars a year in revenue, and some of them are, are pre-revenue and, and are forecasting being uh, cash flow positive in, in two to three years in the future. So it's sort of that balanced approach where we're you know, investing all across the board and sort of want to have that nice, robust sort of portfolio when it comes time to, to make a liquidity event. No, I appreciate it. Yeah. I'm really glad you called it out and thanks for not letting me skip over it. Um, investing in software versus investing in hard and hard and like we got to build, we have to build stuff. And I've had a lot of people come on and they're like, whoosh, as soon as you throw hard tech or you throw that we actually have to build something, there's a whole group of people that just leave the room. They're like, that's too hard. That's too expensive. That's too risky great to hear and glad that we're talking about it. Part of the role you fill is like, no, 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 we realize that that is part of it. We're in a, we're in a world where we need to build things and it's not just a software solution. Obviously there's technology in the background, but you guys are not shying away from heart, from, from, from investing in actually building things. Exactly. And you're not going to get, you know, to your emission reduction strategy by implementing just software. I mean, you're going to need hard tech solutions to sort of actually make those gains. But, you know, we have a balanced approach. Like I mentioned, we invested in Galatea, Technologies in Calgary, and they're sort of a software as a service. And we also invested in, in Validir, which is again a, a SaaS company. So we're not shying away from the software side. You know, we, we like it as VCs. It's a asset light business. You know, high margin, highly scalable. So yeah. there's a lot to like there. But at the same time, like we're not going to get to our, our emission reduction targets. You know, just through software alone. So we need that hardware components. But as an LP, you need to be aware that you know the the returns are going to be there in in five to seven years. Like uh, like a software company, it's going to be a bit longer time horizon than that. Right. I really appreciate that and calling that out. And I've heard it's like you know it's almost 
it's almost a little bit the, the death mark if you're going to, to market. And I've had a few clean tech companies on like, oh, as soon as I let investors know that I'm actually building a physical thing, there's a, like a third of them or half of them get up and leave the room kind of thing because it is so focused on software being all those things that you mentioned uh, just as risky. But if it works, man, we can turn it around super fast and our scalability and all and all those things. So I, I love that you guys, you know, part of your mandate is looking at all of it, but I'm hearing you loud and clear. Your thesis is very much tied to if we're going to reduce emissions, it's not going to be just software alone that's going to that's going to do that. Which is again the importance of what your driving mission is compared to another fund, basically. <laughs> exactly. You know, we we kind of sit somewhere in between a, a CVC and a traditional financial VC, and that we're strategic to the industry, and we have to make sure that it has a use case for our LPs. But then at the same time, we're trying to maximize the returns, um, you know, of the fund for our, for our investors. So we're sort of sitting between these two realms a little bit. Appreciate that. Well, well, thank, somebody needs to because that's reality. We're not going to we're not going to create the change that we're talking about if someone isn't willing to do that. Uh, curious a little bit, just your own journey. Obviously, you wrote that paper, which is you know not that long ago. Well, you're doing your research. I know you focused on Canada specifically. What other parts of the world did you kind of like peer into, and who's doing this really well, and who's got getting this figured out, and where where do we sit? Always, you know, there's always that curious, like, well, where do we sit against who else is making these changes? Whether it's the Netherlands, whether it's where. So curious when you think about clean tech and some of the research that you did. I'm assuming when you were kind of diving into writing that, other parts of the world did you look to for inspiration, or that you've seen some really good things going on? Yeah, no, I looked uh, across the world. I kind of looked benchmarked the Canadian majors against the super majors, mm -hmm. you know, mostly in the U.S., but you know, in Europe a little bit as well. And who was actually investing in clean tech solutions? And I, I'll be the first to admit, clean tech is a very broad term <laughs> in the context of oil and gas companies. So if you like slap a cogen on the side of your facility, then you're saying, "Oh, this is clean tech because I'm reducing emissions." <laughs> so it, it, it. it's a very broad thing. But uh, based on my research, I found that Canadian energy companies, by and large, invest more per BOE than anywhere else in the world in terms of clean tech solutions. Uh, amazing. And so that was, I, that was super proud of that. So, you know, the, the industry is, is working hard to change its image to lower emissions. You know, people have a lot of negative sort of pre connotations about oil sands and, and, uh, and energy resource themes in Canada. And, and they're working really hard to change those and lower their emissions. And that's part of ties into the story of the Valadier where companies are lowering emissions to the point where their molecule is, is one of the cleanest on earth. But there's a lot of sort of negative, you know, connotations around that. And so this is a, an actual viable way for them to market this molecule and say, hey, look, the carbon intensity of our molecule of methane is, you know, considerably less than elsewhere you could purchase it from. Like, a, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but uh, different companies in, in Europe. There's, par there's parts from. of the world, yes. Well, come on, we buy ethically sourced coffee, fish, vegetables, <laughs> fruit, and, but yet when it comes to our energy, we're not looking at it for its true. I love that personally. As a marketer, I'm like, that's gold. <laughs> yeah, responsibly sourced gas will, will certainly, um, almost certainly be on the menu here in, in the next couple of years. And, as and, as it should know. be, as absolutely it should be. <laughs> yeah. I've heard, I had someone uh, that, uh, from Archon, they said, you know, that the last barrel that's ever pumped in the world, whenever that is, should be Canadian because we're the best at it and it'll be the cleanest. And I, I really like that. <laughs> I'll take yeah, that all day long. Was it Max Van Willigan that you had on that? Because uh, I, I used to work in his family office, and he'd always say that. Uh, oh, maybe that's well. Brian Belanger said it, but he quoted someone else from the team. So yeah, that's yeah, probably Max said that. So that was my yeah. that was my job prior to this one. Oh, uh, I, okay. In family well, office. Yeah. Small world, small world conspires. <laughs> Because Brian said, he goes, I'm, I'm quoting someone, and he, he made the reference, and I couldn't recall it, but it was him who said it to me, but he was very clear that this isn't my statement, but I do believe in it. So that's great. Yeah, uh, well, there, we, we, we chatted for 40 minutes, and we, we crossed paths right away. 
No, I really appreciate that that perspective on kind of what is invested here. And again, as a marketer, and that's not what this episode is about, I think we've done a really poor job ma- managing our own narrative around the quality and the work that we do to make a, a viable uh, energy product. But you know, there's a narrative out there that kind of got ahead of us and we've done a very poor job of putting our head in the sand and just doing the thing or putting our head in the oil sand and doing the thing and not sharing the positive story. So I'm all for ethically sourced gas down the road. I think that's, <laughs> that's got a lot of traction because I know, I know we're in a good place to do that. <laughs> no, definitely. Anyways, I'll get off my soapbox on that one. Um, Michael, thanks so much. This is, I've learned so much today and I'm really, really enthused about what you guys are doing and I love your position that you're taking and kind of how you've thought through it and how, you know, even in a very, you know, 18, 18 months, you guys have, have, have got a real clarity and are making a real difference. I love it. But last question, I'd like to ask everybody this. If I gave you the magic wand, you could do whatever you want with it, make something happen, make something go away, change something specifically around the ecosystem and the world that you live in, what would you do with your magic wand? Good question. Good question. I mean, with my VC hat on, I'd love just more startups to invest in, more people active in the ecosystem, you know, creating great companies. Um, I think we're, you, you've probably seen the CBC reports that come out every quarter on market activity and every quarter, you know, Alberta smashes its record by a it huge does. margin, like 50%, you know, quarter over quarter growth for the last like three or four years. So that's super positive. And we're starting to mature as an ecosystem in, in Alberta in particular, but Western Canada generally. And we're seeing repeat founders sort of, you know, make exits and they could just take their millions and go, and go on a beach somewhere and, and sort of that's that. But they're, they're going back into the ecosystem. They're, recre- they're cre- recreating new companies, you know, and starting the cycle all over again, taking the ride. So you know, we're starting to see that. We saw that with uh, uh, Jeff and Andrew from the Skip the Dishes exit and they're starting yep. EO, which, you know, is, a, is yes. a bit of a rocket ship there. So um, we're sort of seeing that. And that's, just, that's the hallmark of a really mature ecosystem. So I'd, if I had a magic wand, I could wave, you know, wave it. I, I would, you know encourage a lot of founders who have made successful exits to, to come back to the ecosystem, start another company you know, and, and do it again and again and again, because that's really how we build the momentum that we've, we've garnered over the last couple of years. That is, and we talked to a lot of people, they're like, we're just missing that next tier, but it's happening. They're, they're starting to fall out of the, the the exit opportunity and coming back in with their capital. And Skip is a great, you know, what they've done over there. And Jeff, I had Jeff on the show a couple of times. Like, I love how it, was, it wasn't even really like, well, no, we're just carrying on and doing our thing because that's what we do. And look at the impact that they're having. Neo's a great, great rocket ship yeah. success story. I don't know, what are they up to? A thousand employees now already in a couple of years? Like, it's crazy what those yeah, guys are doing. Yeah, they got that beautiful office in the, the Hudson Bay, you know, building in, uh, in downtown. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, awesome. that's an impressive, but that's a really good example of, somebody who still had you know had all the initiative and all the energy and then all of a sudden had the reputation the skills and the bankroll to go and go whoa what 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 do we disrupt next I, I, there's nothing about that not to love right yeah <laughs> let's go blow up the banking sector that feels like somebody who really needs a good swift kick in the ass <laughs> <laughs> michael great having you on i love the i love the conversation ngif.ca go check out your website um i almost feel silly asking this everyone knows how to find everybody if someone wanted to reach out and have a chat with you uh from any side of the uh, of, of the all the different angles that you focus on What's the best way? LinkedIn, email. What's your What's your preferred? Mm. Yeah, so LinkedIn definitely. So just Michael Hebert. I uh, work at NGF Capital on LinkedIn, or shoot me a message uh, email. So M Hebert H E B E R T at uh, ngif.ca. Fantastic, Michael. It was fantastic. I love that. Was a great conversation. I learned a lot today. I was like, that's my guilty pleasure. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. 